Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Daily Oz. Happy Wednesday. It's the 2nd of March. I'm here with Zara Seidler, and we're going to be taking you through the mammoth IPCC report. I've heard some rumors. It was about 4,000 pages. I'm going to get Zara to talk me through everything. Every page, every word. Every single word. Zara, first, let's kick off with some developments from the Prime Minister. Yesterday, we heard from PM Scott Morrison, who announced Australia will pledge $70 million in military equipment and lethal defensive weapons for Ukraine. So, Sam, take us through quickly what lethal versus non-lethal is. When thinking non-lethal, think of things that can't kill you. When thinking lethal, think big guns. Okay, so with that in mind, Australia will also commit $35 million in humanitarian support to assist international organisations who are providing Ukrainians with necessities like food and shelter. The first flood-related death in New South Wales was confirmed yesterday after a woman's body was found in a flooded Lismore home. New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet confirmed yesterday that the SES had conducted over 1,000 rescues and received 6,000 calls in relation to the floods so far. Over the border in Queensland, flooding has destroyed over 15,000 homes. Most schools, aside from 150, are set to reopen in the state today. The Reserve Bank of Australia, otherwise known as the RBA, has announced Australia's cash rate will remain at 0.1%, which it has been at for a while now. The RBA continues to watch the events of Russia's invasion into Ukraine, with RBA Governor Philip Lowe saying the war in Ukraine is a major new source of uncertainty. And today's good news, rental platform Airbnb is offering free short-term housing to up to 100,000 refugees from Ukraine. They did a similar thing after the fall of Afghanistan to the Taliban. The cost of the short-term housing will be covered by Airbnb as well as some donations and hosts who decide to offer free accommodation. Among the mammoth news of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and flooding in New South Wales and Queensland, there's been another big story in the headlines. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, we know them as the IPCC, has dropped its latest report. That's right. Now, this new report by the IPCC, which was released on Monday night, says that the world is already facing severe consequences from climate change and that it's running out of time to secure a livable future. There was definitely no mincing of words when Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, described the findings of the report. Today's IPCC report is an atlas of human suffering and a damning indictment of failed climate leadership. With fact upon fact, this report reveals how people on the planet are getting clobbered by climate change. Can we just get a quick refresher on what the IPCC report is? The IPCC is the peak climate science body of the United Nations and this latest report release is the second in a series of three about the consequences of climate change. It was authored by nearly 300 experts from 67 countries across the world and it summarises nearly 35,000 pieces of research and was informed by more than 62,000 comments from expert reviewers and governments. It's now been approved by 195 governments so it is a big deal. 62,000 comments. If that was an Instagram post, it would be a pretty successful one. What did this report say? It was pretty dark, to be honest. The report found that the world is already experiencing widespread disruption due to human-induced climate change and that those least able to cope are the hardest hit. It said that it's unavoidable that these problems will continue over the next two decades, even if global warming is kept to 1.5 degrees, but it'll become, quote, impossible for some regions to adapt if warming reaches 2 degrees Celsius. 
I often find reports like these can sometimes be a bit overwhelming. The mere length of the report is hard to get your head around. If you were to summarise the key three findings, what would they be? The report was nearly 4,000 pages, so I don't blame you. But its aim was to summarise the likely effects of climate change and to identify the regions and people who will be hardest hit and then consider how to adapt. So it's not necessarily about avoiding this outcome, but it's this is happening, what can we do to make sure that we can lessen its severity really. So the first thing is that even if we meet the Paris Agreement target of limiting warming to 1.5 degrees this century, there will still be serious and irreversible consequences around the world. Secondly, governments can do more to allow ecosystems and people to adapt, but there are limits to our ability now to adapt if warming does rise above that 1.5 degrees. In this case, some parts of the world will become uninhabitable. The third finding, and we'll chat about this a bit later, but it's that poor and disadvantaged populations are already the hardest hit by the effects of climate change, and that's just likely to continue. And if we take things in an Australian lens, is there anything in the report about what our country can expect? There is. So according to the report, if emissions remain high, in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane, we could see 600 heatwave-related deaths per year between 2031 and 2080. And when you think about that, 2031 is not that far away at all. Beyond that, more droughts and extreme fire weather are projected in southern and eastern Australia, as has already, of course, been observed. Finally, the number of days with temperatures over 35 degrees could increase by up to 355 percent by 2090. Sounds like there's a lot of problems. Does the report focus on what governments need to be doing to try and solve these? I mean, the short answer is limiting emissions and fast. If we go back to Antonio Guterres, here's what he said will happen if governments don't curb global emissions. Global emissions are set to increase almost 14% over the current decade. That spells catastrophe. It will destroy any chance of keeping 1.5 alive. Beyond that, though, the report's authors say their goal is not to prescribe specific policies. Ultimately, the authors aren't going to prescribe specific policies for every single government across the world because not every situation is the same. They say that adaption and mitigation tactics are the key here and that things like this include rebuilding damaged natural systems like wetlands, forests and coral reefs and that that can ultimately help cushion the blow of higher temperatures and rising seas. So like I said before, it's basically accepting that if emissions are not curbed and if temperatures continue to rise, we're going to have to go into this mitigation and adaption stage. Another thing they suggest is that part of adapting to climate change is acknowledging the injustice of climate change, what we said before, and that the wealthier countries need to recognise their responsibilities in paying for these adaption measures. It's one thing to read these reports and to see the numbers there, but it's another thing to be experiencing tragic weather events like what we're seeing unfolding right now in New South Wales and Queensland. We've had some really interesting conversations with experts over the last few days to try and identify whether these floods are linked to climate change. And it seems to be, as we said on the podcast earlier this week, that it's highly likely that the link is there. It's just that the body of research needs to keep developing to cement that link. There is a lot going on in the news at the moment. I know we say that a bit, but it seems particularly busy at the moment. So make sure you look after yourself and take breaks from the news when you need it. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love you to leave us a review and share it with your friends. Other than that, we'll speak to you tomorrow.